0: If you can turn with me to Second Kings, Second Kings, before we read, I want to just pray and ask Holy Spirit. I, I love the way you led today, Ben. You did a great job leading, and uh, whew, yeah, let's give it up for Ben. Come on, <laughs> so good. But in the prayer meeting before uh, the meeting started today, uh, they, Ben had this sense that they were about authority. Uh, and I heard another word, accountability, in two A's, you know. Uh, I clocked it. Uh, but I, I do sense that there's, there's something about the authority of God um, in this house that God wants to really speak to. And um, as you know, we've been on a, like, a, this, the theme this year, if you're visiting. Have we got any visitors this morning? Can you just give us a wave? Any visitors? Great. Welcome, sir. But we've been on a, th- on a series this year. We started it this year called People. Uh, God loves people. In Second Peter chapter three, verse eleven, Peter is writing his last letter, and he says, "In light of all of these things, what kind of people, what kind of people ought we to be?" And it's a good question. What kind of people ought we to be? And the truth is, God loves people. And when these the, the last few weeks, the last few weeks that I spoke, and I, I believe it's carried on this trend about the love of God. Um, An expert of the law, it says, a lawyer, attorney, and a solicitor, tried to catch Jesus out. And he said this, out of all the commands, and there were 613 commands, he tries to trick Jesus, and he says, which is the greatest? And Jesus says, all the laws and all the prophets can be summed up in these two commands, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and might, And the second is just like it, to love your neighbor as you love yourself. Does anybody remember that? And we looked at those two commands, and I kind of split it into three because it's really three journeys. The journey upward, the journey inward, and the journey outward is to love God and to love your neighbor as you love yourself. It's so important that we really to know how to love ourselves. And the truth is we can only love ourselves when we realize how much we're loved by him. John says, this then is love, not that we love God, but that he first loved us. And it's a revelation that God absolutely loves us. And when we really get that revelation and we receive that revelation, we just automatically take that love from him and love other people. But it's, and it's easy to love God when we first encounter what love is because God isn't just loving, he is love. And when we encounter him, we encounter love. Amen? Fia and I were in an Uber uh, last week and we had about an 11-minute drive. We dropped off a car that we were borrowing and uh, we were driving from one city to another. And uh, to the Uber driver, we just said, sir, how, you know, do you, have you been out driving Uber for long? And uh, how's it going? And, and he just began to talk. And as he began to talk, we were just aware this was a divine appointment. And he began to share. I said, did you, did you grow up in this city? Have you? And he said, yes. And he said, my wife and I did. And, and then just in the conversation, he said, but when she passed... I was just now living on my own and trying to figure out what to do, and I just bought a coffee shop, and then I regret buying a coffee shop, and I thought, he's, he's, he, was in he was bereaved. And then he made a major decision in the midst of his bereavement, and now he's feeling the regret and the turmoil. And all I can think is Isaiah 61, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach good news to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted, to comfort those who mourn. I thought, this is why we're anointed. And I said, sir, could you tell me about your wife? And Fia and I were sitting in the back seat. And it was dark and just trying to hold back the tears. And we just began to minister the love of God to him. And we said, and we pulled up after 11 minutes. He said, well, great. Yep, it's all, everything's fine. And I said, could we just pray for you before we go? He said, oh, okay. Now, bear in mind, England, 2% of England of, of Brits go to church. It's a pretty godless nation. So to pray for somebody and allow them to have you lay hands on them is not common. But there was an anointing of God in the room. The greatest to command is to love your neighbor as you love yourself. And so church, I want to stay on journeys today but as I was just Praying for us as a family and a church last night. I, I was thinking about journeys. I was thinking about, funny enough, I was thinking about the number three again. And how God so often does things in threes. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. We are spirit, soul, and body. The fathers of faith are Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And these three things remain. Faith, hope, and love. Stay here in Jerusalem, then Judea, then Samaria. There's something about three, wood, hay, and stubble, gold, silver, precious stone. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? The keys to the kingdom are repent, be baptized, receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, pressed down, shaken together, running over. There's something about threes. We've been looking at three journeys, the journey upward, the journey inward, and the journey outward. And I want to pause today, and I want to read a scripture and see that there's three stages in this story that are clear in this passage. It's an unusual passage of Scripture. It's a Scripture, when you read it, sometimes you're like, that's a little odd, that's a little confusing. I don't fully understand that. I don't know about you, but for me, sometimes I read the Word of God and I'm like, God, I'm trying to understand this. Um, And yet sometimes I think these obscure um, scriptures that kind of leave you wondering, I'm not quite sure what I can glean from that. I think that's a true f- reflection of our life sometimes when we go through and say, what was all that about? Why did I go through that? What were those stages? What was the point? What did I learn, God? What were you trying to show me through that? Was that my fault? Was that somebody else's fault? But what was it? And all of it, I pray today, by the end of this t- our time together and the next 25-30 minutes that you and I will find ourselves in one of the stages of this lady's life in this story. And we'll be able to identify it and then we're going to pray. Amen? So Holy Spirit, we thank you for your word. We thank you that this is your voice in print. We thank you that, this, that all scripture is God-breathed. You breathed it and it's useful for teaching and correction and training in righteousness. And God, we recognize and we humble ourselves before you in your word today, recognizing that when we hear your word, it's like seed that goes into ground, the ground of our hearts that is soft. Right now, I pray for every heart in this room, including myself, that we will receive this word with gladness, with joy. But most of all, God, we would receive it with understanding so that it would reproduce itself and reproduce fruit and fruit that remains, which gives you the most glory in Jesus' name. Amen. 2 Kings, Second Kings, Second Kings, chapter 4, and I'm going to read from verse 8. One day, Elisha went to Shunem, and a well-to-do woman was there, who urged him to stay for a meal. So whenever he came by, he stopped there to eat. She said to her husband, I know this man who often comes our way is a holy man of God. Let's make a small room on the roof and put in it a bed and a table and a chair and a lamp for him. Then he can stay there whenever he comes to stay. Interesting story. First of all, we don't know the name of this lady. We just know where she's from. We know she's got money. And later on, we're going to find out that her husband is older. But she's clearly a man that, sorry, a woman that loves God. She honors God, and she has a uh, she has an appreciation for the anointing. She has an appreciation for the anointing that is on this prophet called Elisha. And so she says to her husband, "Hey, we we should make a room for him. He's a good man. He's a holy man. He's a godly man. There's an anointing on him. Let's make a room. Everyone say room." So her husband doesn't actually say whether he agrees or not. She just did it. So she makes the room, and in there, there is a lamp, and there's a table, and there's a bed. I, I love acronyms, and, uh, but, the, the, but the lamp is for revelation. The bed is for relaxation. And the table is for preparation. So there's something about this room, this space that this woman that we know is a godly woman that appreciates and values the anointing, and she makes room. Everyone say room. And she's making room for the presence of God. She's making raking room, this is Old Testament, so that she has access to the presence of God and to the knowledge of what God is like through his servant, which is a prophet. And in this case, his name is Elisha. So whenever Elisha would come, he would now stay in this room, in this lady's house, and in this man's house, and he would stay there. Let's read on. I know this man who often comes as a holy man. Let's make a small room in the house with a chair and a table, blah, blah, blah. Verse 11. One day when Elisha came, he went up to his room and lay down. And he said to his servant, Gehazi. Everyone say Gehazi. Gehazi is his servant. There's, a, there's some imagery and a picture here of what Gehazi is in, to us, and we'll come there later. But Gehazi. And he said to Gehazi, his servant, call the Shunammite woman. So he called her, and she stood before him. Elijah said to her, tell her, have you, you have gone to all this trouble. Now what can I do for you. Can we speak on behalf of the king or the commander of the army? And she replied, I have a home amongst my own people. What then can be done for her, Elijah asked. So Gehazi said, well, she has no son and her husband is old. So you can see what's happening. This godly woman is, is, has made this room in her house for the man of God. The man of God comes to stay. He lies down and then he says, what can we do for you? What can we do for you? I think some of you today, as you hear this story and we go through it stage by stage, you're going to find yourself here. Maybe you feel like you don't have a name. Maybe you feel like I don't feel like I'm even noticed. I've served God. I've honored God. I honor his presence. I honor his word. I honor the kingdom. I honor honor kingdom principles and I've made room for God. Maybe today God is saying this to you, what can I do for you? I've watched you, I've seen you, I've heard you, I've heard your cries. This story does actually get a little bit more bizarre, but stay with me, okay? Because there's three stages in this lady's journey, and we're going to touch all of them today, and then we're going to pray, and I believe that God is going to move, God is going to speak, and there, as Ben saw in the prayer meeting today, there's an authority that's going to come. Amen? Thank you, Lord. All right. What can be done for you? Elijah asked. Gehazi said, well, she has no son and her husband is old. Then Elijah said, call her. So he called her and she stood in the doorway. Will you all say doorway? Doorway. We're going to, if you're writing notes today, the doorway is the first step it's the first stage of her journey this lady this woman of God this honorable lady the lady without a name she's well to do she's made some room for the presence of God and she's standing in a doorway and as she stands in the doorway about this time next year Elisha says you will hold a son in your arms So here's the prophet, and he says, what can we do for you? And she says, well, I have a home amongst my people. Everything's fine, thank you very much. I don't want to ask for anything. I'm just happy that you're here. I'm happy that I can serve God. I'm happy that I can honor the anointing. And in the doorway, the first stage of this story, in the doorway, comes a prophetic word. The prophetic word speaks from the prophet. And Elijah says, by this time next year, 12 months from now, you will have a son In your arms. Pretty powerful promise in a doorway. Pretty awesome. Wow, that's an amazing promise. That's really cool. But this is a response No, my Lord, she objected. Don't mislead me, O man of God. Another translation says, No, please don't get my hopes up. Please don't promise me another promise. I I don't know if I can handle that. Everything's fine, thank you very much. I I, I just want to honor your presence. I want to honor you. I want to honor this gift. I want to make room in my house for you. Don't promise me that. Have you ever been, church, in a meeting or a situation or a circumstance where someone says, I've got a prophetic word for you, and in your heart, without saying it, you're like, oh, no, not another one. I'll leave that as a rhetorical question. But if we're really honest, when you hear good news, it gives a little sign to what's going on in your heart. If your heart is hard or if your heart is full of disappointment, Because when you hear the sound of good news, it's like, I remember this before. I'm not sure if I can handle any more good news. I'm not sure if I need another prophetic word. Because if I have another promise, what if it doesn't happen? And this is what her response is. She objects. No, my Lord, please don't get my hopes up. Please don't promise me something that that you can't really promise. And this is what happens. No more love, she rejected, but do not mislead your servant. But the woman became pregnant, and the next year, about the same time, she gave birth to a son, just as Elisha had told her. Whew. pretty awesome. The promise is there. The promise is fulfilled. He wanted to bless her. She was quite happy where she was. Doorways, don't mislead me. Please don't get my hopes up. Have you ever been a place where God is promising you something either through his word or through a prophet or through a dream or through somebody else? You're in a meeting and somebody starts to prophesy or give you a word. But in your deep in your heart, you're like, please don't get my. Please don't get my hopes up about my marriage. Please don't get my hopes up about my kids or my health. Or please don't get my hopes up about a promise or about my finances. I'm not sure if I can take any more disappointment. Let's be real, church. You're reading the word. This is a great promise, but I'm just not sure. How, listen, how you receive the promise in the doorway is how you will determine the journey in the hallway. The second stage of this lady's journey, the second stage was a hallway. Will you say that with me? Hallway. The first is a doorway. It was in a doorway that she gets the prophetic word. It was in the doorway that she got a promise. Some of you are in this room today and you have promises. You can remember the doorway. You can remember where you were. You can remember where you were sitting. You remember how it made you feel. You can remember the sound of his voice. You can remember how the word of God came. You can remember it. It just went in and you received it and you held on to it. You remember the doorway. But after that doorway a promise after that moment where you heard, yes, I've got a word from God, suddenly you're in a hallway. Doorways lead to hallways. You can't get to your car from this room without going through a doorway into a hallway. You have to get to the hallway To get out of the building. You have to go through a doorway and down a hallway in order to get into your car to get on to where you need to get to. Do you not? So here she is. Now she's in a hallway. Some hallways are long. Some are short. Some are really long. Some hallways just in life seem to go on forever. Gosh, this is just taking so long. And something happens in this story which is why I said it's bizarre. It's a little crazy. What on earth is happening here? And sometimes when I read it, I'm like God, I just don't understand. Why? Why? What's going on here? And then I look at reflection of my life, and a reflection of people's lives, and a reflection of life itself on a thing that truly does reflect life. Let's read it. The story goes on, and tragedy strikes. In the hallway. Oh, let's read. The child grew, and one day he went out with his father, who was with the reapers. My head, my head, the child said to his father. The father told the servant, Carry him to his mother. <laughs> Typical. Carry him to his mother. Stop stop this yelling. Stop it. Shh, after the servant had lifted him up and carried him to his mother, the boy sat on her lap until noon, and then he died. What? What? The baby's dead? She's standing in a hallway. She gets a promise about a child. Never ask for the child. You're going to have a child. in 12 months time, you're going to have a child. 12 months later, she has a child. She's in the doorway of promise. Then she goes from the doorway into the hallway and tragedy strikes. The little boy's grown up. He's with his dad, out with the reapers. He's in the fields. and Suddenly he hits his head or something happens to his head. He says, my head, my head. Go be with your mother. sits on his lap. And now the baby dies. The child dies. The boy dies. Tragedy. I don't know if you can remember school. The hallways at school. Hallways are the places that transition you from one place to another. But there are rules in the hallway, are there not? And the first rule, when I can remember growing up in school, is there's no bags allowed in the hallway. You're not allowed bags in the hallway because they can cause accidents. You have to clear up your stuff. It's a rule. No bags in the hallway. In, Roman, in Hebrews chapter 12, it says, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. There's stuff in life that hinders us. We have to check our bags. Because if we don't check our bags, then we leave them And other people can trip on them. They can cause problems for other other people. So when we are going through the hallways of life, it's important that we keep moving. It's important that we check them into a locker to keep everything moving, to keep everything safe, to keep other people moving. So tragedy hits in verse 18. And here we are. The second second rule of hallways is there's no talking in the hallways. If you grew up in a school like I did, those rules were pretty strict. No talking in the hallways. Let's read it. Uh, Verse 21. Verse 21. Are you still all with me? Uh, He grew up more. Okay. Uh, Verse 21. So the baby, the boy is dead. The child is dead. The little boy is dead. He's on his mother's lap. He shouts, my head, my head. He goes home, sits on his mother's lap, and then he dies. Verse 21. She went up. And laid laid him on the bed of the man of God and shut the door and went out. She called her husband and says, please send one of your servants and a donkey so I can go to the man of God quickly and return. Why go today? said the husband. So chilled. (laughs) He asked, it's not new moon or the Sabbath. She takes the child and she goes up to the man of God's room, to Elisha's room. Elisha wasn't there, but the room is empty and she lays him on the bed and she closes the door. I love these little nuances of scripture that so often we can just race by, but there's something powerful about closing the door when you hit tragedy in your hallway. Do you just speak to everybody and freak out? Ah! Or do you find quickly find your center, close the door? Jesus says, when you pray, go into your room and close the door. In other words, there's voices and there's choices. I want you to hear my voice so that you can make the right choice. And in order to hear that voice, you need to close the door. There's something godly about this woman. There's something mature about this woman. Her husband's like, "Where are you going? What are you doing now? Where? Are, oh, I don't know. Just where, why are you going today? It's not new moon. It's not the Sabbath. Why, why? is the big hurry? Leave it to me." She just takes control. She's taking command. She takes the boy. She went straight up and laid him on the bed of the man of God. Then she shut the door and went out. And she called her husband and said, "Please send me one of the servants." And he said, "No, oh, it's, it's not even new moon. But, it's all right," she says. <laughs> It's all right. It's really not all right. The boy is dead. It's all right. Man, this is a no drama chick right here. She is focused. It's okay. Husband, I will deal with this. shuts the door. Please send one of your donkeys. It's all right, she said. She saddled the donkey and said to the servant, lead on. Do not slow down unless I tell you. So she, set, so she set out and came to the man of God at Carmel. She puts the boy dead on a donkey. And says to her husband, let's go, move. Don't stop till I tell you. Get to the man of God. Get to Elijah, Elisha. When he saw her in the distance, the man of God said to his servant Gehazi, look, there's the Shunammite woman. Run to meet her and ask her, are you all right? Is your husband all right? Is your child all right? <laughs> Shunammite woman. Everything is all right, she said. When she reached the man of God at the mountains, she took hold of his feet. So the woman's now grabbing hold of Elisha's feet. Gehazi came over and pushed her away. But the man of God said, leave her alone. She is in bitter distress. But the Lord, watch this. Has hidden from me and has not told me why. The prophet Elisha sees the Shunammite woman coming. Is everything all right? Everything's fine. Clearly, it's not alright. She says it's all right, but she's she's it's on now. She's focused. But the man of God says. The Lord has not told me why. Sometimes when I just meditate on the word of God, I think about the word of God, and I think, of, like I think, why? That's such a question we always seem to ask God, why? I don't know why. I just want to say this. It's okay to ask why. It's just not okay to stay in the why. Jesus on the cross cried out, why? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What is not okay is to stay in a why, to stay in a place. I just don't. I just need to know why. The truth is, often we will never ever know why. That's why God told Adam to eat from the tree of the, to the tree of life, not to eat from the tree of the knowledge, which answers the why of good and evil, of right and wrong, good and evil. Right and wrong—is it right? Is it wrong? What's right? No, no. Don't eat from the tree of right and wrong. Eat from the tree of the tree of life. Ever since that day, we always want to know why. I'm a graduate of Google myself, and if you can, you can Google anything and find out. Sorry, Joe. We—he we, works for Google. Um, you can find out anything. We're in the information age. If I need to know, I can find out why. Right, but. It is through by faith we understand that the universe was formed and that the world exists. By faith we un- by faith we understand. By faith we understand. Faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not yet seen. Are you following me? It's by faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. It's not information that will get. We will never get enough information to cause us to come to a place of peace. It is by faith in God, that we will come to that place. All right? So he says, and the Lord has not shown me why. And now you see this mama who before didn't have much of a language, but now she's got a language. Did I ask you for a son, my Lord? Didn't I tell you, don't raise my hopes? This is exactly why I didn't want a prophetic word. This is exactly why. When you asked me, what can I do for you? I said, I have everything. Everything's fine. I'm at peace. I live at home amongst my own family. But you had to give me a word, didn't you? You had to ask your assistant, what does she need? And the assistant said she needs a child. And I said to you, please don't get my hopes up. I don't know, everything's fine. We're just going along as a church. Everything's okay. We're just doing, it's fine. It's, it's, we, we're just, we're happy. We're at peace. We don't need any more disruptions. We just, God, we just, we just want to do church and be friends and have family and go through. It, it's great. I got a word from you. Uh, wait, what, what kind of word? Oh, it's a good word. think I'll be the judge of that and God says no I got a word for you see this isn't just individual this is corporate this is these are words when God speaks and God spoke to us as a church time and time throughout the history of this church and all the other congregations there's prophetic words that come and we listen to the voice and we're like okay gonna have a baby all right cool are you sure and then somebody else comes and prophesies yeah you're gonna have a baby This is what I want you to do. We're not actually going to have a baby. Yeah. (laughs) Are you hearing what I'm saying, church? When God speaks, sometimes we can feel like the Shunammite woman that says, please don't get my homes up. I'm not sure about this. And God speaks again. And God speaks again. we're like, okay. One of my scriptures that gets me every time is in Philippians (laughs) I just read it to the staff in the UK and watching Jonathan Horsfall and sit in a staff meeting and there's probably maybe 25 staff and I went through a little bit of the history of my journey with them and I said this. I read this scripture. I said, I want you to listen carefully to this and it was from Philippians and Paul is writing to the church in Philippi and he says this, I'm sending you Timothy. There is no one like him. For Timothy has the interests of Christ. I said, church, I'm sending you Jonathan. Jonathan has the interests of Christ. Paul goes on to say, others peddle the gospel, not, but not Jonathan. Not Timothy. He has your interests at heart. And I was thinking about that one time several years ago i was studying the, the letters to timothy that paul wrote and i felt the holy spirit whisper this to me when i read it are you would you like to know what i'm interested in and it brought me to my knees because i was thinking about all these things i wanted to do but god actually i really do want to know what you'd like I really want to know what you're doing. I really want to see and be a part of what you're doing in the earth today. And God, yes, I'm going to realign my interests so they come in line with your interests. I'll just say this. There's no talking in, there's no bags in the hallway. There's no talking in the hallway. And whilst, that whole thing of closing the door, when we learn to close our mouth, when we don't understand anything, See, while we're displaying, while you're displaying your baggage, you're also delaying your destiny. Life and death are in the power of the tongue. I think this is so important, church, because it ties into what it means to really love God, because it ties into us becoming more like him. Do you remember the story, and I'm not going to go there, but the story of Zechariah. Zechariah was uh, the father of John the Baptist, and the angel of the Lord came to him, in Luke chapter 1, the angel Gabriel, and said, you're going to have a child. And Zechariah didn't believe it because his wife was older and barren. And so the angel of the Lord zipped his mouth and said, because you didn't believe this, I'm going to close your mouth for the next nine months until it happens. Why? Because if I don't, your own tongue will undo the miracle. You, You follow? So this whole thing of no talking in the hallway, it's, it's so important that as we grow in God and we mature in God, that we learn to close the door, to close the door, and go to our Father and say, "Lord, I'm really upset." You know, I get really honest with God in private. I never, I never charge God with wrongdoing. I never get angry with God, but I am extremely honest. Lord, I'm really hurt. Lord, I'm really vulnerable. Lord, I'm really disappointed. Not in you. I'm just disappointed. You are faithful. You, the God that never changes, but I don't understand this. And I think there's something in this story that we can probably, most of us can relate to. Maybe you can relate to that promise in the doorway. Maybe you can relate to the tragedy that strikes in the hallway. And you, and here's some things you can learn to pick up your baggage. Learn to not talk. The, other, the third thing in the hallway, the lesson of the hallway is there's no loitering in the hallway you're not allowed to you sometimes you see outside mcdonald's not that i ever go to mcdonald's but it says no loitering especially around high schools no loitering we don't want you just hanging out the word loitering means this means to move in a slow idle manner making purposeless stops in the course of the journey wow hello that's massive no loitering in the hallway don't make Idle, purposeless stops whilst you're on your journey. And here's why. Because when you stop, you slow down the traffic of everyone behind you. No loitering in the hallway. And you see this passion. Get the donkey. I'm not stopping. I'm going to get to the answer. I'm going towards my future. I'm going to take this problem. Watch this. I'm going to take, I'm going to. T- this has changed some of your life. I'm going to take this problem to the per place where I got the promise. Just, that's amazing. I can, I, can put, I can get my baggage out and I can display it. I can start speaking, ah, I don't know what's going on. I, I, I can loiter and start making purposeless idle stops. Or I can take the problem that I'm facing to the person that gave me the promise in the first place. And I'm not going to stop until I get there. And just, you know, there's something about the bride of Christ that if you lift up the the, the bridal dress, the bride is wearing like combat boots. And and I think there's a picture of the church and the word about authority. It's like we're we're just not just this gentle. You see, that's why there's not one metaphor to describe the church. Yes, we're a bride, but we're also an army. And then we're a vine, and then we're a house, and then we're a body. And then there's something about the church that is so strong and so has authority. Jesus, Jesus says, I've given you all authority over all the power of the enemy. If someone has all, then someone else has none. If, Je- I can say that if Jesus has all, then someone else has none. I say it again, Jesus says, "I've given you," what's the text fee? I've given you all authority. Luke 10:19. "I've given you authority over all the power of the enemy." I know I've said this, but let's just review an old lesson. We have authority, agreed. Jesus says, "I've given you, my church, all authority over all the power of the enemy." Here it is. The enemy has power, but he doesn't have authority. I'll say again, the enemy has power, but he doesn't have authority. And authority always wins over power. In this building, there is a room with a key. And if you open the door, there is a huge handle, and it says on and off, and it can shut down all the power in this building. The person that has the key has the authority to override the power because they have authority. Jesus says, I've given you authority over all the power of the enemy. The enemy has power, but he doesn't have authority. And authority always wins over power. That's why we need to know our authority. Shove off, devil. I'm not believing these lies. And sometimes their lies become so big, I'm not believing the lies. I'm going to take this problem back to the person that gave me the promise. I'm not going to hang out in the hallway. I'm not going to take all my baggage and set, and set up a little camp in the middle of the hallway and go, ha, ha, I don't know what's happening. She didn't know what was happening. This made no sense to her. She's mad. She couldn't articulate what was in her heart. What would you like? What can be done for you? What's, what's in your heart? What are your dreams, woman of God? I've I done nothing. I'm just happy. I just love serving God. Everything's great. I, I, I'm at home amongst my people. In other words, I've got my church. I've got my family. I don't need anything. But the man of God says, yes, you do. Deep in that heart of yours, there's a dream. There's a desire. You don't even want to speak it. But I know it's there because I'm a prophet and I see it. And you're going to have a child one year from now. And she says, no. He says, yes. And then the baby dies. And the dad's like, what's the big hurry? Chill out. Make another baby. She's like, this is my promise. Now we have a problem. I'm taking it back to the person that gave me the promise. And church, sometimes we're in battles. As we were in the prayer meeting this morning, morning, as I was just listening to people's prayers and listening to God, I was thinking about the promise. The promises that he said. I was thinking about the weapons that we fight with, Paul says, are not carnal. On the contrary, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities of darkness. The weapons that we fight with have divine power to demolish strongholds. It's not flesh and blood, but there are principalities. That's why we should think it not strange when we face the fiery darts of the enemy. Have you ever met somebody and you feel like you're heating, you're, 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 you're sensing this resistance. It's not them. It's the, the, it's the principalities of darkness that they are subjected themselves to us. It's a powerful one, but it doesn't have authority. We have authority. You have authority. We have to use our authority. But the weapons that we fight with are not carnal. I have to remind myself of that sometimes. I misunderstand the fivefold ministry. <laughs> or the laying on of hands, suddenly. <sighs> no loitering in the hallway when you break the flow. It causes backup for everybody else. Hallways are not the destination. The classroom is. The promise is. Stop letting the devil give you a permanent address in a temporary season. It's just a hallway. Before she couldn't articulate her dreams, but now she's fighting to preserve them. She wants to know, man of God, you promised me, fix it. So he sends his servant, take the rod, go and lay it on the boy. Servant comes back, Gehazi says, tried it, didn't work, he's still dead. I'll do it. So Elisha goes, really bizarre, he lies on top of the boy. First, he closed the door. He closed the door. I don't want any distractions. I don't want any lack of faith. I don't want any voices. That's why it's so important. Shh, be quiet. Yep. Do you remember at Jairus' house, Jesus says, everybody get out. We don't need any doubt in here. Doubt, get out. Faith, stay in. And Jesus spoke. And the child came back to life. The 12-year-old came back to life. Close the door. So Elisha goes and into the room, closes the door. He lies on the boy, hand to hand, mouth to mouth, and he breathes. The child sneezes seven times and wakes up. Then there's a famine in the land. And so the Shunammite woman goes with her husband and her son, and they leave. They go out of town on a long journey away, and they stay there. And this story is odd. Because there's been a doorway and then there was a hallway, but it ends with a gateway. The third stage of this journey ends with this gateway where after all this time, she begins to come back to her own land. She's been gone because of the famine. And she's on a journey back towards the city and as she approaches the city and if you can jump with me a few chapters on in the same book second king kings chapter eight at the end of seven years she came back to the land of the philistines and went to the king to beg for the house of the land the king was talking with gahazi the servant of the man of god and said tell me about the great things elisha has done this is so amazing just stay with me i'm almost done i'm going to pray this is such a fascinating story. So imagine this. I'm jumping through. You can read the story for yourself. But she's gone away. So, and she's coming back after seven years of famine. And she's walking back towards town. And there's a gateway. The third stage of her journey. And as she's walking through the gateway, it just so happens that the king is having a conversation with a Ghazis. Gehazi, remember, is the servant of Elisha. Hasn't seen this family for seven years, and the king is talking to her about Elisha. So you're Elisha's servant. Tell me some cool stories. So Gehazi says, well, I want to tell you about a story. There's this this lady, she was a Shunammite woman. She really loved God. She wanted to honor God, so she made this room in her house. And in the room, she put a table and a lamp and a bed, And Elisha, the man of God, would stay there. But Elisha asked her, what can I do for you? She said, nothing. And he said, actually, there is something that God wants. It's a desire of your heart deep down. You're going to have a child. So she had a child. And then the baby died. The child died when he was growing up in the fields with his dad. So Elisha, she brought the child to Elisha. And he lay on the child. And the child came back to life. The king's like, this is an amazing story. Watch this. Just, verse 5, as Gehazi was telling the king how Elisha had restored the death to life. And the woman whose son Elisha had brought back to life came to beg for, the, for her house and the land. And Gehazi said to the king, that's the woman right there, my lord. That's, that's her right there. Imagine that. She's walking back into town. And they're having this conversation. And he goes, Wait. No way. That's the Shunammite woman right there in the gateway coming through the door. He goes, what? This is the woman that you're talking about. Yeah, that's her right there. He says, well, bring her to me. So she comes in. Then he assigned an official. So Gehazi said, this is the woman, the Lord King and her son whom Elijah restored. And the king asked the woman about it. And she told him, then he assigned an official to her case and said to him, give back Everything that belongs to her, including the income from her land from the day she left until now. You following me? Pretty awesome. To a point. Maybe this is a little bit of the British cynic in me. But I'm like, it is great. But it would have been even greater if it never happened. Right? Just me. Okay, I'll just be really transparent. It would have been really great if there wasn't tragedy in the first place. It would have been really great if there wasn't tragedy in the hallway. The promise was great. Excellent. The fulfillment of the promise was great. Excellent. But what's up with this then? What's up with the boy dying? It's great that he came back to life, but it would have been better if he didn't die, right? Some of you know what I'm talking about. You're like, I'm not sure if we're allowed to say that. I'm just, I'll I'll erase this from the tape. I'll deny I ever said it. But no, I'm kidding. But let's be real. Some of you, if you restly look back over the last two years or three years or five years of your life, you'll be like, yeah, that really sucks. That was really tough. In fact, I'm still not through it. And even if God restored it, there's still some pain along the way. There's still some things that caused me to say, what on earth was that all about? And there's certain things in my life right now, I'm like, that's great, but what was all that about? You know, I look at the boys having an accident. I'm driving along, I'm 15 minutes in front of them. They're driving along in a mini. A 13-year-old, my 17-year-old, an elderly gentleman comes out, goes into oncoming traffic, flips them three times, they end up upside down, in a convertible, in the snow, in a ditch. Now, when I drove past the crash site, it triggered something in me because I had a brother that was killed in a car accident. So racing to the hospital, I'm just like a, I'm like a pressure cooker. No, no, here we go again. No, no. And the police report said they still don't know what happens to the third man in the back. They pulled my 13-year-old Jonah and said, listen, we need to know if your brother Judah is lying. He said no they said six witnesses says there was a third person in the back what's his name and where is he wow. says, was well, just the two of us he said listen i'm gonna write a statement now you cannot lie this is a legal statement he said sir there was only two of us in the car that's awesome i love her thank you lord It did something to my kids. We know God's real, but now we really know he's real. Yeah. Oh, we knew he was real, but now we really know he's real. But there's some things that just happen, you're like, what was that all about? I, I don't understand. But church, right there, in that place of not understanding why, is a place and a moment where maturity happens. Where God begins to do his finest work in the obscure and in the not knowing and not understanding. But saying, God, I don't understand this, but God, I'm going to trust you and I'm going to worship you because you're good. And I don't understand, but I do know that you're good. And I know that you're faithful. One of the things in Romans 12, if you've been reading 12, 13, 14, and 15 about worship is being patient in affliction and faithful in prayer. It's something we often don't want to talk about, being patient in affliction. But we need to be patient. When our boys were young, we'd say, "Patience means quiet waiting." Quiet waiting. Put your hands together. Lock your t- Not, you don't have to. Put your hands together, boys, so you can't fidget and touch other things. Look me in the eye, and sit there. And we're going to learn patience. Patience is quiet waiting. Quiet waiting. Some of you have gone through tragedy. You've gone through bankruptcy. You've gone through bereavement. You've gone through pain. You've gone through sorrow. You've gone through sickness. You've gone through loss. Some of you are still there now. You're in the hallway. You're in one of these three journeys. And I just want, I'm going to pray. If the musicians can come, I'm going to pray right now. In just a moment, just that God will meet you and you will find a fresh authority and a fresh understanding and a fresh language and a fresh ability to navigate whatever stage you're at in your life right now. Some of you are like, I've just received a word. I've done nothing about hallways or corridors or gateways. This is just a very gloomy, very sad message. All my promises are yes and amen. Other of you are like, I think I remember the promises, but I definitely remember the hallway. I think I remember the doorway, but I definitely remember the hallway because I'm in it. I just want to say to you, don't camp in the hallway. Don't set up camp in the hallway. Don't stay there. Don't unpack your bags. Be careful what you say. Be careful what comes out of your mouth. Don't loiter in the hallway. No talking. No standing around. No baggage. Keep moving. It's not a destiny. It's, it's a path to get you to your destiny. Don't stop in the hallway. There is a gateway coming. And when that gateway comes, church, some of these things, in I'm, 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 my, my conclusion is we will not actually know until we get to heaven. There are certain things I do not understand. I don't understand why some people die and some people don't. I don't understand uh, it's some of the pain, most painful thing as a pastor is, is to bury a child, to bury a husband or a spouse or bury someone who's engaged to someone and they die loss the pain of it honestly i'm not going to say i have a language the only thing i really know for absolute sure is that i really don't know but god but god is the answer there is a hope and it's jesus and all i can, that's why i would encourage you refuse to ever charge god with wrongdoing don't shout at God don't swear at God that's what Job's friend said curse God and die reverse that bless God and live I will bless the Lord at all times his praise will continually be on my lips I will bless the Lord at all times his praise will continually be on my lips you are God I taught this at a men's meeting, so I won't get too graphic, but Job begins to question God. And it says, out of the storm, God replied to Job. And he said this, brace yourself like a man, this is going to hurt. To Job. Read it. He says, who are you? Where were you when I laid out the stars? Me, one of the few times you see it, almost God being a little sarcastic. Were you there? Were you? Job, were you there when I plumbed the depths and I measured the ocean? Were you? Job, were you there when the mountain goats gave birth? Were you? We live now in an new and a better covenant. We have a Father who absolutely loves us and Jesus who is able to sympathize with all of our weaknesses. Just close your eyes for a moment. The three stages are number one, a doorway. A doorway of promise, a doorway where God spoke to you, a a doorway where He whispered things, he spoke things, he declared things, promises over your life. The second is a hallway where something or someone has slowed you down. It's caused you to meander on your way to destiny. And the third is the gateway. And some of you, if not all of you, can identify with one of those things. With your eyes closed, if if you are in the doorway... You're in that place where you're holding on to the promises of God and he's spoken. Can you just lift your hand? Great. You can put your hands down. If, you're, if you can identify with a hallway, that you're, this like tragedy has struck either recently or in the past, but you feel like that promise is being hindered. I can't get to the fulfillment of the promise because I'm still in this hallway. Can you put up your hand? And number three. you stood in the doorway went through the hallway and now you're in the gateway and yeah god's restored stuff but there's a part of you that just lived is just left thinking what on earth was all that about that was such a large part of my life what was all that about if that's you can you just put your hand up if you put up your hand for any one of those strings three things I know as most of you, can you just stand to your feet and I'm going to pray? I'm going to pray a corporate prayer over, over us today. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Lord God. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's alive. We thank you that it's active. And God, just for, even from the foolishness of preaching today, I ask, Holy Spirit, that you. From this passage of scripture, would in the way that only you can cause each one of us in this room to find ourselves in these pages, to find ourselves in this passages, to find ourselves in one of these stages that this Shunammite woman was in, Lord, for everybody that's had that doorway experience, God, I ask that you would refresh and revitalize those prophetic words. Lord, they would come alive today. Those promises, the things you promised, the things that now look absolutely impossible to ever happen but God, by faith, we would look at those and lift them before you right now. Just lift your, if you've got a promise, just lift it before the Lord in your heart. Lift it physically if you want. Lift up your hands and say, God, this is the promise. You know, church, what those promises are. You know where you were when he promised them. And Father, for each one of these promises, Lord, I ask that they would be, they would be elevated above every lie this morning. Every lie would come under your promise Every weed that's tried to choke the seed, every weed that's tried to choke the promise, that they would they would be eradicated right now in Jesus' name. Every lie, I curse you at your roots. I command you to die in Jesus' name and dreams live in Jesus' name. Promises live in Jesus' mighty name. For everybody who's in a hallway that's faced tragedy, that's faced disappointment, that's faced like, what on earth? Why is this going on so long? That today, God, we were determined in our hearts right now to keep moving. Not to hold on to our baggage, not to talk to the wrong people and to undo promises by the power of our tongue. But we would keep moving, that we wouldn't loiter, that we wouldn't make meaningless stops, that we wouldn't idle in the aisles. We wouldn't idle in the hallways, but we would keep moving even when we don't understand that we would continue to give you praise, that we would continue to bless you, the Lord, at all times, and that our praise would continually be on our lips until we reach the gateway, until we reach that place or as we walk back into the city, whether it's in, 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 in now or in eternity, that as we walk through, that you are the God of restoration, that you're the God that does not lie. You are unable to lie. All your promises are yes and amen. And God, I declare over your people today that we would keep walking until we get to the gateway and that you, the God of restoration, would restore everything that the locusts have taken, that everything, every lie the enemy has whispered, that they would be cancelled out in Jesus' name. And God, I ask that as your people today, that we would lift up our heads O you gates, that you the king of glory would come in and God, as we leave this building, as we leave this gymnasium today, we would leave with authority, we live with our heads lifted up, we'd leave with our heads lifted high, knowing that you have given us authority over all the power of the enemy in Jesus mighty name we declare it together Amen Amen, let's applaud the Lord can we thank you God thank you Jesus